Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Romans chapter 12 and verses 2. It says, and be not conformed to this world. Somebody say, be not conformed to this world. He says, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may Prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God concerning your life. Somebody shout hallelujah. Give me the amplified version of that. The amplified version says do not be conformed to this age, this eon. That is the elements that determine the time and spaces of human beings. He says but do not be fashioned after and adopted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals. He says the new creature must carry new ideals. And the Bible says, and its new attitudes. That means until the ideal and attitude changes in the new creation, no matter how new the creature is, if the attitude and ideal is not changed, that man cannot prove for yourselves what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God, even that thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. Somebody shout hallelujah. We have misconstrued the word of God. Some of us have distanced ourselves from the spirit of truth and we have likened forms in the world and secular interpretations, human and carnal understandings. Imbued in the cultures, the traditions, the thoughts, the attitudes and ideals of humanity for centuries. And those have become the accepted things too. And sometimes we even abuse the scripture further and use those things and get scripture to make it say those things to approve of the traditions and the things that are not in line with scripture. No wonder many people do not flow in the blessing of the Lord. The world has a way it's conformed. The new creature has a way it's conformed. Yes, if a man be in Christ, the Bible says he's a new creation. The old is past. He says that now the new. And he says that all things are of God. We know that all things are of God. But if the new creature of which all things are of God has not changed ideals, has not changed the attitude, has not seen the true conformation, conformation, of its nature, if it has not gotten the understanding, that man or woman, no matter how believing they are, or what a believer they are, they will live a normal life. Praise God, hallelujah. You'll have a normal marriage, no more children, no more finances, no more ministry, no more everything, because you are conformed to the standards of this world. What is the one identity with that conformation of this world? Simple, you're predictable. Christianity is not supposed to be a predictable life. Christianity is supposed to be an unpredictable affair. The Bible says that he that is born of the spirit is like what? He's like the wind. The wind bloweth white listers. 
He says, you feel it. You feel it. You sense that it's there. But the Bible says, but you cannot what? You can't hold it. You can't come against it. You cannot tell where it comes from. You cannot tell where it's going. But you feel it. And he says, and so is everyone that is born of the spirit. They cannot tell where you're coming from. And definitely, they cannot tell where you're going. Somebody shout hallelujah. That is why I refuse to be subject to the predictions of men. Or if you graduated in this school with this kind of degree, the job you can get is this much. If you're living in a third world country like Uganda, the kind of house you should live in is like this. The kind of clothes you can wear like this. The kind of ministry on your life is supposed to be like this. You can go this far. You can eat this far. You can't eat this kind of food because you're born in this kind of, of nation. You're limited. That limitation again is prediction. Men make you predictable. Church is dangerous when it cannot be predicted. That's why you see people striving to regulate the wind. Continue regulating the wind, baby. Continue regulating. You can't regulate the wind. You can't regulate the wind. If you can't explain my beginning and you can't explain my end, how can you interfere my middle? Who understands what I'm saying? It won't happen. Tell your neighbor it ain't gonna happen. Praise God. Somebody shout hallelujah. So when the Bible says do not be conformed, it means you are born again. You're a new creature. The life of God is in you. The God identity and nature, the God life is in your spirit. You cannot be conformed. You cannot have the ideals of this world. You cannot have the mind of this world. You cannot have the attitudes of this world. Let's talk about wealth. You all read in Deuteronomy one time where the Bible says he shall command the blessing of the Lord upon you. The blessing. Not a blessing. The blessing. The one in Proverbs that maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. That is the blessing. Right? He speaks of that blessing. In Deuteronomy 28 as he's explaining this blessing. When you go to the 12th verse. The Bible says the Lord shall open. The Bible says, the Lord shall open up unto thee his good treasure. Somebody say, his good treasure. The heaven will give thee rain unto thy land in his season and to bless all the work of thine hand. Now listen to this. He says, and thou shalt lend unto many nations and thou shalt not borrow. One time I was reading a Christian book. This believer was teaching about how to be rich. I have a feeling he's not rich. I just have that feeling. Because of what I read in that book. And then this guy made a very stunning statement. And he said, he was teaching people how to be, you know, rich guys. Millions, billions, trillions, you know. And then one of those statements, he said, you cannot be a billionaire a multi-billionaire without borrowing. And he cited examples of all the multi-millionaires that have borrowed. I understood what he was saying. He had conformed to the standard of this world. 
He was giving practical human ways of being rich. He was not talking kingdom mindset. He was not speaking a kingdom language. Let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. You don't need to borrow to become a multi-millionaire or billionaire or trillionaire. Who says no? They don't use their money. They use other people's money. They have to borrow. No. But the blessing, Deuteronomy 28 spoke here. He said, thou shall lend unto many nations and thou shall not borrow. Wait a minute. Should I believe you because you have a few billions on the account? Or should I believe God who owns all things? Come on, answer me somebody. Again, let me put a disclaimer. It is not sin to borrow. Hello? It is not sin to what? To borrow. And it is not wrong to be a borrower. Heaven will not be denied you because you borrowed money. And don't feel that because you're a borrower, therefore you've sinned before God, you're the wrongest person. No. There are people who have borrowed and paid to the fool, isn't it? And they've made it better. Because again, even the principles of this world have results to a certain extent. I would rather the man borrows and does well without borrowing and becomes a success than the fellow who doesn't borrow but also doesn't know how to evoke the blessing. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. It's like people who, who claim to know the gospel but they don't have results. Yet they claim to know the gospel. You understand what I'm saying? How come? How do you say you know the gospel but you don't have results? It doesn't happen like that. It never happens like that. Somebody shout hallelujah. So if I have two fellows... And one guy has refused to borrow according to scripture. But I look at them 10 years and this guy who didn't borrow is more broke than the guy who borrowed and made multi-millions in those 10 years. Much as it's not the perfect will of God to borrow, it's still provided for in the permissible. I would rather within these 10 years, I would go with the guy who borrowed and has a living and is out of debt than the guy who didn't borrow and is broke to zero. But also... <laughs> If this guy spends the 10 years and is in negatives, then I would rather the guy who didn't borrow. Did you get what I just said? So it's not sin to borrow. But he has spoken of the three. The good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God concerning your life. Somebody shout hallelujah. Say amen. Now, when the Bible tells you do not be conformed, the Greek word there for conforming is sumorphos. What does conforming mean? Sumorphos, conforming, it is likened to having the same image, bearing the same fashion in the same manner, being like, praise God, Carrying a certain form of another thing. Are you getting it? Follow me because I'm going deep here. When he says do not be conformed, it means do not carry the form of the world. Do not be fashioned 
like the world. Are you following what I'm saying? Behold, I show you a mystery. Romans 8, 29, the Bible says, For whom he foreknew, right? He also did predestinate to be sumophosed, to be conformed, the Bible says, to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. When God knew you, he conformed you. He, he fashioned you in the likeness, in the, in the image. He fashioned you in... Okay, let me explain it this way. The fallen man obtained a certain image in the spirit. There was a reason why Adam and Eve did not know they were naked until they ate the fruit. Some people think they were simply naked and they just discovered. No. Spiritually, they were not naked. The nakedness took place when they fell short of a certain nature. Somebody shout hallelujah. And because of that, when you go in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17, when he's now dealing with man and rebuking him and woman for what they had done. In the verse 17, he said, and to Adam he said, because you have listened and given heed to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I have commanded you, saying you shall not eat, the ground, the Bible says, is under a curse because of you. He said, in sorrow and toil shall you eat. He's talking to this fallen nature. He says, in, 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 in what? In sorrow and toil shall you eat of the fruits of all, of it all the days of your life. Thorns and also thistles shall it bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. In the sweat of your face shall you eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken for dust you are and to dust also shall you return. This is what happened. Before man falls, he had a certain experience with God. And you will notice before the fall, Adam and Eve were not conscious of lack because there was nothing. There was no lack. Adam and Eve did not toil for food. They did not dig and till the land for food. They never tilled. The scriptures tell you the water used to come from underground and used to what? Water the garden. Remember when God told them, he told them, look, you shall eat of everything. That means Everything was ready in its time. Eden did not have seasons of lack of this and, and lack of that. That is why when you go back to Deuteronomy 28, again, if you go back and read, you realize he says he shall bring forth in his season. He's not talking about your season. He's talking about his season. What we're reading. He says the heaven will give the rain unto thy land in his, his his season. The heaven will give unto thy land rain in his season. His season. Not your season. Not the wild season. Are you hearing me? Eden was not watered by natural season. It was watered from underground. God needed to make sure that everything Adam and Eve turned to to eat was ready every time. You don't read of any account in Eden where there was a season of lack. Why is it now? In this period there are no mangoes. No, it was not there. It was ever green. It was ever beautiful. It was ever bringing forth fruit. It was ever providing. Because Eden was subject to the season of God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now man falls. When man falls and eats of the forbidden fruit. 
His eyes opened to another thing. The Hebrew word is ayin. Not eyes, but eye. The eye of both was open. And they knew that they were naked. When they fell into that nature, what makes Adam and Eve naked is because they took on a certain image in the spirit. Are you hearing me? And that image, in the imprint of that image, God mentions to them that from today you're going to be both conscious and subject to lack. You'll have to sweat your sorrow. Out of sorrow, the sweat of your brow shall come through. You'll till the ground. Until you till it, it will not bring forth. You are going to eat the bread of sweat in your face. If you don't struggle, you're not going to have anything. If you don't go through sorrow, you will not eat of anything. If you don't sweat, you'll not eat of anything. So that fallen man, from that day, he became conscious of lack. But not only did he become conscious, his image bore the likeness of a man after lack. When the spirit world would look at him, when Satan, when the cohorts, when everything that has life would look at him, it would relate with him as a man who has lack. It would relate with him as a man who is under a curse. It would relate with him as a man under judgment. It would relate with him as a man who has to pay a certain price of sweat to yield its substance. Who has understood what I just said? So the fallen man bore a certain image. And that image, from the time he bore it, everything around him started to respond to him according to the image it beheld. Let me explain it. When the Bible says that you were sumo forced, you were fashioned, you were put in the nature of the image of the son of God. When you go to something, it doesn't look at you like it sees Adam and Eve. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because your image changed. Jesus walked to a tree, a fig tree. It saw the human nature and realized it was not its season to produce fruit. He walked to it anyway, the Bible says, because he was hungry. Woo! Because he bore another image. And the image he bore, the moment he goes to it, it must provide. Because the consciousness of that Adam guy before he fell, the consciousness they had was that when they walked to something, it provided for them. Jesus, the second Adam, also is walking to a tree. He comes in the same consciousness. He doesn't know. He doesn't care. He doesn't understand that it's not its season. Because he's conformed to a certain nature. The Bible says he's seeing a fig tree far off. Having leaves, he came to eat if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to eat, he found nothing but leaves. What people don't know is this tree provoked the nature of the Christ. The Bible says he found nothing on it. But leaves. He says, for the time of the figs was not yet. That is an understanding of the fallen Adamic. That is the relationship of the fallen Adam to a tree. He will understand that he is subject to its season. Because he has no element of influence over that tree. He is subject to the curse. The son of God walks to the same tree. And he expects it to respect the image and form in which he comes. He looks in front of it and he finds no tree. The tree told Jesus. I don't respect 
that you carry the image of the son of God, but you've come in the body of man. That is why the Bible says, and Jesus answered it. No, read your Bible. The Bible didn't say Jesus said to it. No. The Bible says, and Jesus answered it. There's a mystery there. There is nothing that provokes divinity like a man who questions God in a human body. He will work to prove himself true. That is why I love it when people say, oh, those ones do fake miracles. I, I love to hear it. You know why? Because that is the day he will do a miracle that goes beyond any man to doubt. When they doubt us, I love it when they doubt us. Because that only means they are provoking God for an answer. Somebody shout hallelujah. So don't be dismayed with the naysayers. Uh -uh. Don't be disgruntled and beaten up and consumed because men don't agree with you. Do you bear the image? Do you carry the nature? Are you of the God kind? Everything they doubt about you, only God will prove that you're true. The Bible says he looks to prove himself strong. That is the mystery of godliness. He says you're vindicated by the spirit. Justified in the spirit. That's what they call the greatness of the mystery. He says great without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. When he was manifest in the flesh. The elements of the world questioned this divinity. And what did God do? He justified him in the spirit. I'm talking of those people, all those things that question the God in you because they are looking at your body. They are looking at your human nature. They are looking at your networks, your connections, your age. Your, your, yeah! I love it. And, and God, God is the master artist of such drama. He loves the humor. Of not looking like what you are. He says brethren you consider your own calling. Not many of you are noble. Not many of you are wise. Not many of you are honorable. But he chose the foolish things of this world. That he might shame the wise. Do you know why you are going to make it? It's because you don't look like it. Sharababakosata. May you do things beyond your age in the mighty name of Jesus. May you do things beyond your color in the name of Jesus. May you do things beyond your education in the name of Jesus. May you do things beyond your connections in the name of Jesus. May you do things beyond your nation in the name of Jesus. May you do things beyond, beyond, beyond your ability, beyond your height, beyond your physical Appearance beyond your money in Jesus' name. So God tells man, you the believer, He says, Don't be sumo forced. Don't appear to the fig tree like you're only human. Don't enter that interview like you're just a human being. Don't enter that business deal like you're just a human being. Don't stand in ministry like you're just a normal fellow. Don't preach on the altar like a normal being. Don't worship like a normal guy. Don't play 
the piano like human beings play it. Are you hearing me? Do not be conformed. Sumo forced. And that begins by carrying another ideal and attitude. I don't need to borrow to be rich. Somebody shout hallelujah. When I enter a nation, I feel like I lend it. I carry the ideals of a lender. I carry the attitude of a lender. When I enter a building, I carry the ideals of a lender. When I enter a shop, I carry the ideals of a man who can buy anything in that shop and more. When I enter a ministry, I carry the ideals and the attitude of a man who comes with an answer. As a man thinker. Don't be conformed. I refuse to carry the attitude of this world. The fallen man is conscious to lack because he bears the image of lack since the fall. Everything that looks at him looks at him like he doesn't have it and he needs to chase it. He needs to sweat for it. He needs to sorrow for it. He needs to pursue it. He needs to worry about it. He needs to think about it. He needs to ponder it. He needs to chase after it, including money. When money is dealing with a fallen man, it's like a woman who doesn't want to fall in love and you're chasing her everywhere. Come on, please accept me. And then you chase her and says, no, 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 no. You understand? And then you start chasing some people. Money is chasing them. Hallelujah. Others, they are chasing money. Some people, poverty is chasing them. They increase speed. Poverty increases. And wealth is in front there. So it's wealth, capere, and poverty. Hallelujah. But some of us. <laughs> Woo! Glory! Are you understanding what I'm saying? That is an attitude. It's an ideal. He says when you do that, you'll see the perfect will of God. It's in the good to borrow and pay. It's in the acceptable to borrow and pay. But it's in the perfect to lend and not borrow. I choose the perfect. N not my neighbor, nations. He says you shall lend to many and shall not But how? You see, that's the human nature asking. The new creature in Christ cannot ask that kind of question. Because it knows the beginning of its faith and the end of its faith. It knows the author and finisher of its faith. Who is that? Jesus. The first and last. Somebody shout hallelujah. That is why he says in Matthew 6, 24, verses 32. And now... You know this, but I'm going to open your eyes to a deep understanding here. He says, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Did you hear that? 
Now, I want to explain why they say that the love for money is the root of all evil. Remember here he said you will love one or hate the other. And then in that next line he says you cannot serve God and mammon. You either love God or hate the other. You either hold on to one or despise the other. If you love God, you will despise money. If you love God, you will not hold on to money. If you hold on to God, in the spirit, you don't need it. It needs you. Who is understanding what I'm saying? In the spirit realm, it needs you. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. You understand? Is money good? Yes. It also follows. You understand? Why? Because you're a man, you're a woman on course. You're on a mission. You have something on your life. Many years ago, I was a doer of principles. And I started very early, probably the age of 15. And I used to give and 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 give. Now I remember one of those days, I graduate very well. I got a job in bank. I started working like any other banker. Of course, you have six months of temporary work. Employment, and then you're confirmed after six months. And the one thing, 99.9% of every bank I remember during that time, the moment you're confirmed, loan. There are people here, you borrowed money, you invested it, it died. Yet you give first fruit, you give tithe, you offer what, what, but it died. But during that time in my frustration, I'd lost everything. I remember I talked to God. I said, God, I'm a giver. I'm a tithe. I'm a what? And I, I mentioned all these things as though it, it was about works, not the spirit that was working in me. Anyway, long and short, the Lord asked me one question. He asked me, did you seek for my mind when you borrowed that money? And I told him, it's something I did not pray about. He said, uh-huh. You did not pray about it. Two. The Lord asked me a question. What is your attitude towards money? That was the day I realized that all of my years, I had never answered that question. And when I stood true to God to answer that question, how shameful it appeared to me that day, it sobered me that I realized that I was a slave and it was my master. There were many things that I had done and I realized later, the love for money had started to grow in me without even knowing it. Why? Because it's easy to love what you lack. It's easy to love what you're conscious of that you lack. It's easy to seek to be attached to what is not attached to you. It's easy to put price on what's scarce. It's easy to exalt what's not available. Because the end of every wonder is indulgence. You buy a little kid a toy and he's excited. And he has it for two, three weeks and it's no longer a toy. He can put it in a corner and leave it. But the first day you bought it for him, the first weeks you bought it for him, he used to sleep with it. Because he was still trying to recapture the wonder, to feed his human lust of trying to get attached to something that he did not have that looked beautiful but was not in his reach. 
if a child was born with all the toys around them, they might or could not have maybe been attached to them as they should have because sometimes when everything is around you, it becomes so obvious that it loses its wonder. It loses the mystery that enchants you. But when it starts to become so far from you, it gets value. It becomes, it tickles your curiosity. It starts to stir your conscience to reach out to it because you need, you crave. It's human nature to crave for what's not there, for what's not available to us, than what's available to us. Follow me. When you get enslaved, right, you desire the place of master. You dream to master. You don't dream to just be free. You dream to the end of mastery. That is why up to today, the black race in Europe has failed to be delivered in their minds. Because when they were liberated from slavery, many of them fought for mastery. And now as masters, they don't know how to live as masters. They want to walk into a shop and buy a necklace of $2 million and a watch of $3 million. And it's only black guys that put money before them. When they win this, they put money before their tables. Why? Because they are still slaves in there. They think that money is their liberation. Do you understand what I'm saying? Revelation is liberation. So I discovered that I was a slave to money. And he told me to change my ideals. He told me to change my attitude and how to see money. I learned it. But long and short, when I mastered this, I remember one day I was in my father's house back in those days and I was on my bed. And you know that moment when you've just woken up and a voice came very clearly. I heard it so loud that I needed to turn to see whether there was somebody in that room. It was so audible as you're hearing me right now. And then he said to me, he said, you have now carried the understanding of how the economy of the kingdom works. And he says, and from today on, I heard that voice. He said, the sun will never go down without a man blessing you. Let me tell you, since that day, the sun has never gone up and gone down without a man blessing me. It has never happened. It has never happened. Even if I try, I'll get a text message. The Lord told me to do this for you. The Lord told me to bless you this way. The sun has never gone down without a man blessing his hands. There's never. And every year it has become bigger. And I remember that one year, the Lord opened the door for me that if I desired to work in banks, I would need 20 years to make that kind of money. When God says, when God tells you that this is the ideal, this is the attitude you must have, get into it and understand, he's not trying to get you a car and a house. No, he's trying to deliver you from the way men see money and wealth. Are you following what I'm saying? You are a new creation in Christ. Your attitude has to change. 
you must understand that poverty is a spirit. But this is something that man throws on a man or a woman with a certain understanding. When that understanding leaves and a certain knowledge comes on that man, that man or woman cannot live in poverty another day. That was the day I understood what it means to serve God and not mammon. Because I examined myself in those days and I saw how many times I had served mammon and not God. I examined myself in how many times I could make it on time for an interview and not a Sunday service. I examined myself on many, many things I could have done for an extra buck, but I would have relaxed if it was for God. I knew, I, let me tell you, it doesn't matter how much money I have, Sunday is Sunday. Thursday is Thursday. The presence of God is the presence of God. Even if I'm going to sign a multi-million dollar deal, I would rather put it on hold and attend to my God first. If this guy says it's gone unless you attend to me now, I'll tell him, take your money. I want to have God. Why? Because now I know the difference between living under the spell of deception that transfigures your revelation of blessing and makes you appear like the men of this world. You start to chase the things the people of this world start chasing. Before you know that, you're enslaved. You're not even enjoying the blessing because it is not the blessing of the Lord. The one of the Lord, he says it maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow to it. How be it you have sorrow in the blessing? You claim blessing. Some people don't sleep. Some don't have peace. Some their relationships are failing. That's not the blessing of God. God didn't want to help your finances and fail in your marriage. No, he's not intending to help your finances and marriage and your children are failing. The blessing, it maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow. The fallen nature, the Bible tells you, in sorrow you shall reap. In sorrow you shall till. Because it's the fallen nature. The new creature is not supposed to have sorrow amidst the blessing. It ain't mean the testations don't come, no. Even when the testations come, you are persuaded of the victory. You're persuaded of the victory. You know that it is temporal and it's going to end anyway. Somebody shout hallelujah. That's why now he continues. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Now he's going to show you what it means to love, serve mammon or God. To hate, despise God or mammon. He says, no man can serve two masters and go for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold on to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And the next verse says, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. That means when a man starts to take thought of his life, that man is going to the other nature. The image that bears lack, that man is automatically going to fall in love with the wrong God. That man is going to fall in love with the wrong God. How do you know that you love money? You take thought for your life. How do you know that you despise God and you honor money? You take thought for your life. How do you know that you hate God and you love money? You take thought for your life. He says, therefore, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat what you shall drink nor yet for your body what you shall put on is not life more than meat and the body than the raiment he asks and the next verse says behold the fowls of the air for they sow not yet you sow 
neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much more better than they? He's asking. The man that is falling in love with money. Why? Because he carries the conscience and the image of luck. The acorn in the spirit of luck. The icon, the Greek word for image is icon. The image of luck in the spirit. So when you lack, money runs from you. You start pursuing it. It's like sometimes how lovers take fellow lovers for granted when they are available and pursuing them. You understand? And when the other one turns, they say, okay, okay, I want. You understand? So you're like, really? But that's human nature. It takes maturity not to abuse it because she's available to you or because he's available to you. Next verse. He says, which of you by taking salt can add one cubit unto his stature? That means if you're not adding by salt, what are you doing? You're taking away from yourself. You're taking away from yourself. Or if you're not taking away, you're stuck. And the world is going ahead while you are stuck. And the next verse says, and why take ye salt for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not nor do they spin. And yet I say unto you, remember he's using the words like sow, reaping, toiling, right. Yet say I unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And the next verse says, Wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, if it takes time to get the grass of the field and give it face and beauty, when it's going to go away, the Bible says, Shall he not much more clothe ye? Oh, ye of little faith. And now here's the gist. He says, therefore, therefore, he has repeated it, take no thought, saying, what shall I eat? What shall we drink? When shall we pay electricity? Oh, the landlord, where will I get the money for the landlord? How will I get fees for my children? Where will I get the job? How will I get that ticket? Will I get a visa? How will I get the visa? How will I get married? How will I get a child? How will I get a man? How will I? How will I? How will I? How will I? How will I get a car? Seeing that I earn 500,000 a month and then I spend 300,000 for transport and 200 for rent. How will I? When will I? Why? How? When? When? When you do that, you position yourself in the ideal, the attitude. You position yourself in the image of the fallen man who is conscious to lack. And when you're conscious to lack, you subject yourself to the curse which Christ has delivered you from. Who is understanding what I'm saying? This thing I learned during that time. I remember that one day I woke up and I never worried again about what I would eat what I'll drink, where I'll sleep, how I'll drive, when I'll drive, when I'll buy a car, when it doesn't matter the delay that I had seen. Of course, my father was comparing me with some of my peers, but your people are doing this, your peers are doing this. What are you doing with yourself? You know how parents can be, you understand? But you see, and you know, they are, they are doing it in love because they are disturbed. They look at you and they feel that you're stuck. Every concerned parent asks questions. Why don't you have a job? Why aren't you married? Why aren't you this? But your fellow friends are building and having house, but you're doing the same job. How come? But I used to take thought. I used to take thought. I used to wake up at two and think, when will I marry? How? Which house will I sleep in? Oh God, in this economy. Now I'm paying a loan that I didn't even earn from. If I calculate the loan, I have to pay for the next five years. To borrow now the loan that should give me land 
for the land also now to build, make bricks to build me a house. You see, the moment you start to go there, the ideal, the attitude, the image wears you. And then money looks at you and you look like the fallen man it's supposed to avoid. Those that should bless you look at you and you look like the fallen woman that they're supposed to avoid. You eat like the one who ate the fruit. You look like the one who ate the fruit. You appear like the one who disobeyed God. Gold can't respond to you. You look disobedient. Silver can't come. You look the disobedient one. When the attitude and ideal is warped, you bear the image of the man of luck. And everything around you starts to treat you like you need it. Like it doesn't need you. You're enslaved. You now have to fall in love. You have to woo it with words. I love you. Come. Come. You understand? And he says, nah. you understand? And then you start playing ping pong with money. You understand? Oh, somebody's getting delivered tonight in the name of Jesus. 31 says, therefore take no thought what you shall eat, what you shall drink, wherewithal shall we be clothed. The Amplified says, for the Gentiles. He has taken you back to the original Adamic nature. The Gentiles wish for and crave and diligently seek all these things. The new creature is not supposed to be a diligent seeker, a craver and a wisher. I wish I had a car. You're not a new creature. Oh, your attitude is still Old Testament. It's like the man with, with a multi-million dollar idea, but with a what? With a one dollar attitude. You understand? Your attitude is of a man with one dollar, but your ideas and visions are of a million and trillions of dollars. You cannot, because your attitude is different from your vision. Your vision and attitude are contradictory. Are you following what I'm saying? He says that's why the Gentiles seek after these things. They seek after these things. They are diligently seeking and craving and wishing. That, that, that space that causes you to wish it, to crave it, and diligently seek it, that's the place where lust is. And that's the cause for why men fall in love with the mammon instead of God. That is why the Bible says, and your heavenly father knows well that you need them. That's why the next verse says, but seek and aim and strive after his kingdom and his righteousness. Thank God we have the righteousness. Verse 30. I want you to listen to the message. He says, 30. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wild flowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? Take pride in you? Do his best for you? Not good. What I'm trying to do here, listen, is to get you to work. I know you don't have a job yet, but I know you're not yet married, but I know you don't yet have a car, the car you want, the house you want, but I know you don't have yet children, but he says, relax. To not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. That means when a man is too preoccupied with getting, 
he does not respond to the giving of God. But when a man switches off preoccupation from getting, God starts to give him. That means things come to you when you ignore them. They run away from you when you try to get them. That's why the Bible says labor not to be rich. Seize from human wisdom. That's human wisdom. That's the fallen nature. And he says people who don't know God and the way he works fast over these things. He says, but you know both God and how he works. I love the last verse. He says, steep your life in the God reality. God initiative. God provisions. Don't worry. Don't worry about missing out. Don't. Don't wake up and say, I think I missed my stage of man. I missed my season of houses. I missed my time of building. I missed my time of marriage. I missed my time of ministry. I think it's too late for... No, no. Don't worry about missing out. The Bible says you'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Carry that attitude. Carry that attitude. Oh, glory. King shall come to my rising. Oh, because I am favored and graced. In all I do, I shall prosper. Everything I touch shall be blessed. King shall come to my rising. Cause I am favored and great. In all I do I shall prosper. Everything I touch shall be blessed. Come on, take a minute and talk to God. Repent, change your mind and tell him, God, I'm stopping to worry. Come on, speak in other tongues. I'm stopping to seek. About what I shall eat, what I shall drink, where I shall go, how I will live, who will do this for me, who will help me, who will deliver me, who will come for me, who will... No, no, no. I am stopping to worry. I am stopping to take salt. Regardless of how things come, I will still believe. Even if the landlord threw out my stuff, I would still refuse to take salt. I would still refuse to worry. Come on, talk to God. Come on, talk to God. Just speak in other tongues. If you don't have them, speak your language. Refuse poverty. Refuse to be a slave to lack. Refuse to carry the ideal, the attitude. Because if you do carry the ideal, the attitude of the fallen man, you'll carry the image in the spirit. And the things that need to come to you will start running away from you. Focus your eyes on God giving you and not your getting. Come on, talk to God. 
You are doing something new every day of my life. You are touching me, a friend, every moment of my life. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe in you. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe in you. Cause you are doing something new in my life. Going higher. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh no. harmonious songs of victory that your mind is aligned to the ideals and attitude of God the God life the God provisions the God instinct the God identity the God experience that from today a voice will be heard in your spirit that it is well it is finished believe me from today 
Somebody's life has changed for good. Clap your hands like God has done it. No more. Don't ever worry. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. If you have never given your life to Christ and you want to receive him as your Lord and Savior, if you say, I have never received Jesus, I want that Jesus, I think what you're speaking is making sense, repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, tonight, I believe that you died and rose again for me. That you are the Son of God who gave his life for me. I believe that you died and were raised for my glory. Tonight, I'm born again. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Finero, make manifest.